The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. So the people of the Lord said, Amen. Let us rise and worship the triune God. Bless the Lord who forgives our sins. Amen. Isaiah 33, verse 5 says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. So lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Father God, the crowds of Jerusalem couldn't refrain from lifting up their shouts of praise. Their petition was, Hosanna, O save. Their Hosanna was a hopeful prayer for deliverance. But our Hosanna is a pronouncement of a person. Your Son, our Lord Jesus, has saved. He has delivered us from our enemies. He has routed all our oppressors. Thus we lift high our praise unto the one who has brought us salvation. O oh, save, great Savior of mankind. There is salvation as no other name than the Lord Jesus, our Hosanna. Blessed indeed is the one who came in the name of the Lord our God. So now to you, Almighty God, with the Son, our Lord Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, be all honor and glory, world without end, and amen. The Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey that Palm Sunday. This detail of the narrative might be easy to skim past, but we must pause here in this part of the story of Christ's ministry in order to fully appreciate the symbolic punch which this image carries. Uh, the first thing to note is that the means of transportation uh, is important. Uh, when a king or governor entered a city, it held significance how he did so. If he came to wage war, he'd ride a mighty war horse. Whereas if he came in peace, he would ride in on a donkey. Thus, Jesus' mode of entry is an assertion of his kingship, but he was inaugurating a kingdom of peace. He came in meekness as a servant king, but his next act, very next act in the Gospels, after entering Jerusalem on a donkey, might just feel a little out of place. This peaceful king goes on to the temple and drives out the money changers. Some peace, huh? Matthew 21, 12 through 16. But this episode of him clearing out the temple is not out of place because there's a second layer to Jesus riding in on a donkey. A more ancient cultural cue is happening. We are being hearkened back to the days of the judges. Those judges would ride through Israel on white donkeys, Judges 5.10 and 12.14. Jesus employed cultural symbolism from Israel's history to make a clear point. He was riding into Jerusalem like an Israelite judge of old. But remember, those judges were not solemn, black-robed judici judiciary bureaucrats. They fought, these judges fought Philistines with jawbones. They smuggled in knives to stab tyrant kings. They overthrew wicked regimes, destroyed favorite idols, and they delivered God's people. The triumphal entry is a vivid depiction of a king and a judge. A king coming into his peaceful kingdom. A judge coming to bring judgment on evildoers. He comes to avenge and deliver God's people. He comes to deliver us from the greedy money changers within us in order that we might be houses of prayer where the Prince of Peace might reign in glory. Isaiah 30, 8 through 11 says, Now go, 
write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Father God, you tell us that we are the temple of your Holy Spirit. Yet how often do we crowd it full of a circus of jealousy, envy, spite, covetousness, lies, pride, rage, and guile. These sins clamor and drown out a true spirit of prayer and trust in you. We listen to their voices. We listen to their sales pitch. We let them ply their trade. And all the while, we are prayerless and faithless. Your son comes to upend the tables of sin in our heart that the king of glory might come in. Forgive us for the cluttered sanctuary of our heart and come in, Lord Jesus, as a mighty judge to destroy all the filth within us. If we in the church regard sin in our own hearts or in our own lives, we know this prayer will be ineffectual. So we confess our individual sins to you now and Selah. We do this in Jesus' mighty name, and amen. Let us rise for the assurance of pardon. Isaiah 30, verse 20 says, Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. Jesus came to deliver poor and helpless sinners. You cannot save yourself. Which is why the crowds on Palm Sunday wisely cried out, Hosanna, O save. You've confessed your sins, and now the voice of Jesus, your Savior, your Hosanna, declares by me that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Our sermon text is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear the words of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euadia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do praise you. 
we lift our eyes up to you. We cry, Hosanna, glory to you. We thank you that your son, Jesus, has come to your people 2,000 years ago in a triumphal entry. He has come to bring joy to the world. He has come into our fears, into our anxieties, into our worries, into our sin. Father, I pray that your spirit would be with us now to be able to lift our eyes up from ourselves, to be able to look to your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray, and amen. Amen. So perhaps you uh, picked up on Paul's um, all-encompassing. Shouldn't have started out with such a hard word to be able to say. His constant, his universal commands that are in this passage. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. This is expansive over all all your life. And I think if we're honest, we might think that Paul's command to the Philippians may seem a little overdone for us. Rejoice always? Really, Paul? Don't be anxious about anything? How is this possible? And it is possible only because of what Paul has been saying and reminding and preaching throughout this letter, that Jesus is the Lord. Christians, you can rejoice always because Jesus is always the Lord. Christian, you can be anxious for nothing, not freak out about anything, because Jesus is always the Lord. You can give thanks and pray in everything. Why? Because Jesus is always the Lord. Right, that's our hope. But if it's just about you, right, and you hear this command, rejoice always, it's like, okay, I really got to gin up my happy face all the time, or if I got to look deep down, and into my inner calm, right? Don't let anything freak me out, right? There is no hope in that, right? If the question of our sermon is, how can you all on your own rejoice always, right? That's going to be a super short sermon, right? You can't, and all God's people said, amen, we're done, right? If it's about you rejoicing always in yourself, there is no hope, right? Paul calls us to constant joy, and it is constant joy in the Lord. All right, so what we're going to be looking at in this sermon is that the source of a Christian's joy is that Jesus is always the Lord, and Christians are always in the Lord. Jesus is Lord all the time, and if you are a Christian, then you are right with the Lord. And because of that, you can rejoice always. We'll break this down into three sections. In the first part, we'll look at what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? And then, what prevents our rejoicing in the Lord? What steals our joy? And finally, how do we cultivate this joy in the Lord. 
So we're actually going to begin with that with verse 4, that's very well-known verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But it's helpful to remember who Paul is saying this to. So he says this to the Philippian church, the Philippian Christians. So who are these people? Right, remember back that Philippi was a colony of the Roman Empire. And you have Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. Right, they go on the church plant team. Right, they arrive in Philippi and they start preaching that Jesus is the Lord. Big parentheses. Therefore, Caesar is not. Right, they start preaching and pretty soon they get into trouble. They get drugged before the city council. And there is a mob that assembles, right? This is pre-Facebook, right? They, somehow this mob still comes together as a counter-protest, and they, uh, Paul and Silas are beaten, they're stripped, they're thrown into prison, right? and in the middle of the night, what are they doing? They're rejoicing, right? They think this is a very fine time for a spontaneous psalm sing and a prayer session. And then in the middle of the night, there is an earthquake, and all the, the jail... Uh, the jail is broken open, and the jailer runs in, and he is freaking out, right, because there's a jailbreak, and he's going about to commit suicide. When Paul calls out, don't do it, right, we're all here. And the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved, right? I want your God to be my God. And then they preach the gospel to him, and then they preach to his family, and they're all baptized, Right? And it's quite the crazy night, but Paul is not done. In the morning, you have some uh, members from the city council. They come to Paul and say, Paul, we really don't like you. We don't think you should be here. Will you please leave? And it's like, uh, yeah, no. Right? I am a Roman citizen. You have illegally uh, arrested me, beat me. If you want me to leave, you have to come and get me out of here yourself. It's like, really, Paul, can't you just go quietly? <laughs> So, but they eventually go. And you just imagine that uh, there are, there are still a few bumps with the city council in Philippi, right? There may still be some hostility to these Christians. There's some pockets of people who are angry at these Christians, right? But the Philippians also faced trouble inside the church, right? Remember back in chapter 3, Paul had to take on a heresy, right? He had to say, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Right? Paul is having to fight against these Judaizers, right? These are uh, Jewish Christians who would say to the Gentiles, like, hey, Gentiles, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be a Christian, then you have to become a Jew. Then you have to keep all of the ceremonial law and first up, circumcision. And Paul has to take this on. Right? He says that this is anti-gospel. This is a perversion of the gospel. Right? So he is having to fight heresy. He is having to do battle, something that's going to divide the church. But then even if we get to this last chapter, chapter 4, we see that there are personal conflicts going on in the Philippian church, right? Here at the beginning, Paul has had to entreat two women. I implore you, Yodia. I implore you, 
syndicate, ladies, please get along, right? Reconcile yourself, right? And we don't know what the specific situation was, but it had to be a humdinger, right? I mean, it makes it into the Bible. They're called out by name, and these are ladies, right? We don't know what the issue was, but obviously there are personal conflicts here. So what do we have in the Philippian church? There are personal sorrows. There are misunderstandings. There are hurt feelings. you got church divisions. you got political hostility from the outside. There is a lot going on in this church. And you know what the Philippian church sounds like? A pretty normal church. It sounds pretty normal, right? And in the midst of all of this, Paul tells the church, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Right? Rejoice in all of it. The conflict, the church ruckus, the hurt feelings. And, and before we even really get into the meat of this, like, what a God that we serve. Right? Here's the command, people. Here's your duty. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be happy. Delight yourself. Be joyful. And God knows us so well, right? He knows that we're, we're going to start grumbling about that. It's like, God, you have no idea. Like, I, I cannot do this. And you've got a bad attitude about that, right? He knows us so well. And he says again, rejoice. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Right, is it just to be happy all the time? Right, quick side note, I had one of those fish that you mount on the wall. And it was one of those like remote sensors that you walk by the singing bass. It says, don't worry, be happy. It would terrify you if you're going to like midnight potty break. Right? You walk past, don't worry, be happy, says the fish mounted on the wall. Right? Is this what it is? Right? Don't worry, everybody. Just be happy. Is that what we're talking about? It says rejoice in the Lord. A Christian's joy is twofold. Joy comes from knowing that Jesus is the Lord always and that you are right with the Lord. So Jesus is Lord always. He is in control, and you are right with the Lord. Right? So if you're in a particular situation, you can ask yourself, is Jesus the Lord over where I'm at right now? Right? Is he in control right now over wherever I'm at? Is he the Lord? If yes, then you can rejoice in the Lord. And then you ask yourself, am I right with the Lord? Are you in the Lord? Are you a Christian? Then you can rejoice in the Lord. And you may not think that you have anything else in your life to rejoice about. But if you are a Christian, then you have the imperishable seed of the gospel has taken root in you. You used to be a dead man. And now you are alive. And that is a miracle. And you can always rejoice in that miracle. You were dead and now I am alive. 
rejoice in the Lord. Right? And we're going we're gonna to walk this out a little bit more. Like, what does this actually look like? But consider, is Jesus Lord right where I'm at? And am I right with the Lord? Then rejoice. But it is really important that our rejoicing is in the Lord, right? And not in ourself. Paul doesn't rejoice in himself. Remember, he's already tried that. He's already rejoiced in his accomplishments, his credentials, his own righteousness. Remember that, that box that he had all of his stuff in and he could pull out, right? He has that box. And remember where that box went? Into the dog dude trash can. Right? He says, all of my righteousness, I throw it into the rubbish heap. Right? It is done to me. He says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Right? Your joy is not the source, is not found in you, right? It's not found in your righteousness and your cheerful personality and your accomplishments, right? It is found in the Lord. And you also, you don't rejoice in yourself, and you also don't necessarily rejoice in a particular circumstance, right? And this is, this is an important distinction, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Right? When you are rejoicing in the Lord, that means that you do not rejoice in sin. Right? You don't rejoice in this sinful act. Right? You don't rejoice in the lie, in the betrayal, in the sexual abuse. You don't have to pretend that sin is okay, right? That the tragedy is not that bad, that you can just shrug off the sorrow. Right? You hate that sin. You hate it. You weep at that destruction. You grieve in the death. And you can still rejoice in Jesus because he is Lord over it all. Christian, you can find joy even in the valley of the shadow of death or the shadow of cancer or loneliness or financial debt or abuse or of an angry dad or a child who's gone off. You can find joy in that shadow because Jesus is still there and he is Lord. Is Jesus the shepherd? Is Jesus the king? Is Jesus the Lord? Then you can still find joy in that. Verse 5 says, And let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your moderation, let your calm be known. Let your joy be known to all men. Why? Because Jesus is near. He is near. And so rejoice. But Paul knows, God knows, that we are so prone when we are in that valley to fear. 
to worry, to fret, to feel overwhelmed, to freak out, right? To be stressed, to be anxious, right? It's so easy, it's so natural for us to be that. The Lord knows us. This is from Psalm 103. He says, the Lord knows our frame, that we are but dust. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. So in verse 6, we are given a fatherly command. He says, do not be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? Anxious for nothing. So, what are you anxious about? What makes you worry? Right? So much is probably the honest answer. Right? What makes you worry? Well, you can, you can worry about your outfit right now. You can worry about your finances. You can worry about your weight. You can worry about your health. You can worry about your job. You can worry about the presidential election. You can worry about your retirement, your reputation. You can worry about what you said. You can worry about what other people are thinking about what you just said. You can worry about your, the pimple, right, that's growing on your forehead. You can worry about your singleness. Does it have to do with that pimple? Right? <laughs> it doesn't. You got a great person out. Right? You can worry about your marriage. You can worry about your kids. Right? I'm just getting, like, angsty just talking about all the things that we worry about. Right? If, we, if we talk to everyone in this room, I'm sure that someone or all of us could find that we can worry about everything. Right? We can worry about everything. And can I say that when we are anxious, when we worry, we are not joyful? Is that true for you? Like when you're all, when you're fretting, when that little hamster is just going and just like, you're stressed out, that you're not joyful. Is that true for you? What causes our anxiety? What causes our anxiety? Well, it's actually the opposite of what causes our joy. It's an abandonment of what gives us joy. We are anxious because we do not believe that Jesus is the Lord, right? We fail to believe that Jesus is the Lord over all things. And either we say, like, no one's in control and freak out, or, like, I'm going to be in control. I'm going to take control of my life. And then, actually, I think that's even a more freaky situation, right? That gives cause to panic. If your life is in your hands, that's scary. We freak out. We are stressed because we fail to believe that Jesus is Lord always. But we also are anxious when we are not right with the Lord. When there is sin, we become anxious. You see David, right? He is in this emotional turmoil. His bones are aching. His life is being dried up when there's unconfessed sin in his life. And maybe the things outside that you're worrying about are not necessarily sinful. But so often when you are anxious, that 
causes you to sin. Right? When you're stressed, what do you allow? What do you excuse? Right? You snap at your kids. You become frustrated. You flake on your duties. Right? So that is what anxiety does. And the message is, Christian, be anxious for nothing. Right? All of those things that are in the I am anxious about this category, he says, then come and take them and bring them to God in prayer. And you can do that because the Lord is near. Right? The Lord is at hand. Right? When you're in the crisis, you can talk to God. That's as simple as what prayer is, talking with God. Right? You're in that freak-out mode. Is the Lord right there? Yes. Then talk to him. Right? Tell him what is the problem. Right? What are you worrying about? Jesus is Lord. He is near. Bring it to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon God, for he cares for you. God cares for you like a father. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father. Right? And I've learned that being, my, being a dad, that my kids are not shy in sharing their needs with me. Right? They're not hindered by having a well-crafted sentence structure or making their request sound really pious. Right? Dad! Dad! I'm hungry! <laughs> Give me some cereal, please! <laughs> right? Dad! I'm tired. Dad, I'm cold. Dad, I'm hot. Dad, I'm scared. Right? We're not here yet. Dad, I want to get married. Dad, I hate insurance. <laughs> right? My kids, for right now, right, they know that I'm in control of their little lives. Right? And they also know that I care for them and that I'm near. And so they call out. They let their requests be made known to me. And that's what Paul says for us to do. Don't freak out, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And he says to do it with thanksgiving. Right? Why, why with thanksgiving? Well, it's because Jesus is Lord. He is in control of, of every detail of your story. And he's giving everything to you. Right? If he's in control of it, then he he's, he's, has it in your life for a purpose. He's given this thing to you. And so you say thank you. And you can only do this. You can only do this, say thank you to God for these challenging situations, if you trust and if you treasure the sovereignty of God. It's like, man, I talked to, like, how can you not trust in God's sovereignty? Right? Like, for Christians, I, I don't see any other way around it. I mean, there's no real hope. I remember the, when, my, when my family had a really, really rough time, two things that my mom kept telling us is that God is God, and God is good. God is God, and God is good. What is that? God is sovereign. And God is benevolent. 
God's sovereignty, God's goodness to us. And so even in the crisis, even in the pain, the darkness, you can receive it with thanksgiving and you rejoice. So how does this work, right? What's something that you're anxious about? What are you anxious about? It might be that you are worried that you might always be single. Or you're depressed because there's a tube down your nose. Or you're anxious because you have just received the diagnosis of cancer. Don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. And thank God. Thank God that he has made you single right now. Thank the Lord for this discomfort. Thank God for the cancer that he has given to you. And then in that same breath, you have thanked God. In that same breath, then let your requests be made known to God. Please heal my mom. Please heal my mom. Please remove this pain. Please give me a husband. Give me a wife. Have you found that even in these miserable circumstances for Christians, there is this somehow joy, this somehow peace, right? Even in the midst of what is awful, you can somehow have joy. That dear faithful saint is dying on her hospital bed, and she insists that she is still somehow joyful. Your hopes, your desires get struck down, and somehow you get up smiling. Men and women and kids go through the meat grinder of life, and they emerge somehow with joy. How does this happen? Because the peace of God guards you. Look at verse 7. It says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The promise is that even in the midst of this miserable circumstance, there is somehow peace. There is somehow joy. Because God is guarding your hearts and your minds through Jesus. You're not anxious, but you are joyful in the Lord because, because you have peace. And this is peace with God, first of all. Peace is the result of believing the gospel. That your warfare, your hostility against the Lord is over. Why? Because God's fierce anger was poured out on Jesus on the cross and there's no more left for you, right? Your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. And the Prince of Peace is over all the world. It says that this is what guards you. This is your defense. This is your armor in the crazy chaos of life, right? Let me give you an example. Or here's an analogy that I got from Aaron. Aaron Ventura. Love the guy. Right? So think of Mario Kart. I'm going way back. 
Nintendo 64. Right? That's how far back I have to go from the last time that I won any video game. Right? Mario Kart, Nintendo 64, and you're driving along, and then you get that, that bouncing star power. Right? And then that music starts, pick, starts to pick up, and you start shining. Right? You're glowing. And then nothing can touch you. Right? That banana peel doesn't slip you up. Right? The turtle shells just go bouncing off. Like if anyone touches you, they're, they're off. Right? You can like go through a semi-truck and you're good. Right? And for that 20 seconds of star power, you're invincible. Right? Nothing can touch you. And you are so confident. It's like, yeah! <laughs> right? Confident in that star power. Here's the connection. The peace of God is that star power. When you are in the peace of God that guards you, then nothing can touch you. The peace of God is what will guard you. When you trust that Jesus is Lord always and you are right with the Lord, then nothing can touch you. Right? You go into any situation, any crisis, and not freak out. Right? You don't worry. And in the middle of it all, you're confident. You're confident. What can touch me? If Christ is for us, who can be against us? God is God. God is good. And you rejoice in the Lord always. So we've been given the command, rejoice in the Lord. Right? Here's our command, joy. But we also know that command is a fruit. Right? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Right? And you can rightly expect a fruit tree to bear a fruit. And you can also cultivate fruit. Right? We've got a straggly pear tree in our backyard. And I can go out and I can really desire, I can express, I can even command my pear tree, bear fruit. Give me some pears, right? But I can also cultivate that tree. I can clip, I can spray it to get rid of those little wormies, right? So here in these last verses, Paul tells us how to cultivate joy. We'll close with this. How do, we, how do Christians cultivate joy? We're given the command. How do we do it? He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, I've heard this, uh, this passage, um, and I th- as I thought about it, it's like the takeaway is to have really high standards of godliness for what you consume. Whatever things are all these, meditate on these things. And I think that's, I think that's right. right. You want whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and all the rest in your movies, in your music, in your YouTube, in your Pinterest, in your friendships, in your thought life. Right? You want all of that. I think that's a good application. right? Because our sinful desires strives uh, doesn't strive to cultivate joy. 
right? But often it's, it's like, how can I compromise, right? How much, what, what little bit of unrighteousness can I get in? Maybe I can have a little bit of the cultural lies or a little bit of nudity or a little bit of blasphemy or a little bit of the foul or ugly or sinful. And a little bit won't really hurt that much, right? You ever heard about the dad who was uh, showing his his sons about, you know, that even a little bit can be really bad? So he did, uh, I think the kid wanted to go watch this. Uh, this movie that was gory, violent, sex, whatever, right? And the dad said, sure, you can do it, uh, but first let me make you some brownies, right? And they're beautiful brownies. They look delicious. They smell delicious. And as they're taking a bite, uh, he says, yeah, so here's, here's our normal ingredients. you got the flour, eggs, sugar, cocoa, whatever else. And he says, I put a little extra something in there, right? There's an extra ingredient, but don't worry. It's just a little bit. It's a little bit of dog poop. You guys can say, gross, <laughs> right? It's just a, but don't worry. It's just a little bit of dog poop. You, <laughs> right? I heard this analogy like 20 years ago, and I am still trying to forget it, but I have not. So I have given that to you. <laughs> the word meditate can also mean to count upon, to take note of, to add up. We are to meditate on all of these things. We are to count all the noble, the just, the pure things. I think what we're supposed to do is we are to keep account of all the blessings of God. Do you want joy? Then count up how good God has been to you. And be so consumed with all of these things that you can't help but rejoice. Paul says that all that the Lord has given you that you have seen in others then should motivate you for obedience. He says, the things which you have learned and received and seen in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So Christian, you have have been told to rejoice. You have been told to not freak out, to not be anxious, to do nothing through selfish ambition or rivalry, to live for Christ. Paul says, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you, Christian, because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Do you see him? Jesus is at the front of that triumphal march. There goes our Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is leading the advance with the, into Jerusalem. And it's because Jesus rode into Jerusalem that Paul is bold to command us to rejoice. Because in Jerusalem, the Prince of Peace came near into our fear, into our anxieties, our worries, our sin. And Jesus did not stop until he hung on the Roman cross. This is why Paul is bold to tell us to rejoice. He is bold because God's anger has been completely satisfied in the death of Jesus. And God has raised him up from the dead. And Jesus is Lord always. So here it is. 
Christians. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has come into the world to be our peace, to bring restoration and healing to a broken, sinful, hurting world. Father, I pray that uh, this people, Christ Church, Christ Church downtown, that we would join into this joyful march as we advance the gospel into your world. Father, I pray that we would be so full of joy, understanding what you have given to us in the gospel, that we would go out and give our hosannas in our work, in our neighbors, in our homes, and that those with fear and anxieties and sin would come to to know Jesus and so rejoice in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And yeah. <laughs> Thanks, G and Heather. Good playing. Love it. Uh, so this uh, community meditation is adopted, slash borrowed, slash stolen, uh, from a meditation that Pastor Toby gave a couple years ago. Paul exhorts the Philippians to follow his example. And he says that if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. One of the examples that Paul left in all the churches was this meal, the Lord's Supper. This meal is also called communion, and communion is enacting peace. In your sin, you are at war with God, and once you were enemies of God, you hated God. But God reconciled you to himself. He took your anger, your rebellion, and he laid it on Jesus on the cross and took it all away. In this way, God has made peace with you. But God offers this to everyone, and everyone who believes in him is made right with him. By faith, the blood of Christ washes you clean, and this includes all the ways you have sinned against one another. The blood of Christ washes away that harsh word, every lie, every betrayal, and we share together the peace of the Lord. This meal is our peace with God and our peace with one another, but all of this requires faith. You are not at peace with God because everyone thinks you're at peace with God. You are not at peace with everyone around you because everyone just assumes you are. You are at peace with God only by believing in Christ, resting in him, crying out to him. Sometimes Christians try really hard to be good and yet have no peace, and they continually fail. And the reason is because they are not trusting in Christ. They're looking around at everyone and trying to mimic godliness. They're trying to gin up their own peace through the approval of others. But if your salvation is a car, this car is meant to drive. But some people grow up in the church and think that because the windows are down and they feel a little bit of a breeze, they must be driving. Or maybe they put 
put it into neutral and push the car a few feet and think they've really made it somewhere now. But your salvation was meant to run. It was meant to drive. And the key to start the engine is faith. Without faith, you can do nothing. But by faith, all things are yours because all things belong to Christ. And by faith, you have peace with him and he promises to meet you right here. So rejoice in the Lord who now says, come and welcome. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would give to us the gift of true faith, of a living faith. And we know that it's real faith when it looks to you and to no one else for our salvation. We pray that you would give us faith now as we eat this bread and drink from this cup and do it in remembrance of you. Pray this in Christ's name and amen. So when Paul gave uh, these commands to the Philippian church, he was using the second person plural in it all. This is a little grammar lesson. You all, you all rejoice. You all let your gentleness be known to everyone. You all don't be anxious. You all in everything let your requests be made known to God. Right? There are plurals everywhere. And this is because God delights to be known and experienced in community among the Christian church. And therefore, Christian joy does not primarily spring up from your solo effort. Christian joy grows up from shared grief and shared comfort in Jesus. Right, so here is your charge. You all, Christ's church, share your joy in the Lord together. Remind each other not to be anxious and pray with each other. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen.